Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I want to talk today about the notion of certainty. As you know, the whole modern period, Rene Descartes set about to find certainty. He said, well, I can doubt everything. I can doubt the world. I can doubt that even that I exist. But he says, well, I'm going to base my certainty on my own thinking. I think, therefore I am. Of course, we can imagine a kind of certainty that I'm suggesting is a false understanding. That is that what they're describing is certainty as a philosophical quest. I don't think it's simply that. I think that we are all on a quest for security or for the certainty that gives us security. And we would halt change. You know, why don't we have certainty? Because everything's changing. We could go to Ecclesiastes that just describes the change is continually overtaking us. That's certainly Heraclitus, that everything is changing. Nothing is stable. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. And here I think that we're given an insight to certainty. And if we properly understand this certainty, I believe that that's the security that we are to cultivate with faith. Reading from verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we could put the word certainty here, the certainty of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Through faith, what the writer is saying, faith in God, we cultivate a form of certainty. The word conviction here, it's more sure than even the universe itself. We say to God, this is Gregory of Nyssa, we say to God, give us our daily bread not delicacies or riches, nor magnificent purple robes, golden ornaments, precious stones, or silver dishes, nor do I ask him for landed estates or military commands or political leadership. We pray neither for herds of horses and oxen or other cattle in great number, nor for a host of slaves. We do not say, give us a prominent position in assemblies or monuments and statues raised to us, nor silken robes and musicians at meals, nor any other thing by which the soul is estranged from the thought of God, a higher thing. No, but only bread. I think what he's describing Our tendency is to put certainty, to put our security in riches, in robes, in position, in power. And what we're to do is put our security, our certainty in the hands of God. In other words, there's a difference between trusting in God, 
making him our surety, our certainty, and trusting in all of these other things. This is really, I think, the Tower of Babel, that they're trying to make an indestructible tower, that they're trying to establish their name, that their name would never fade from the earth. They're trying to create an unchanging reality for themselves. Let us build, you know, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used stone for brick and tar and they stormed the heavens. That is that they would use their own means of mechanical engineering, religious insight to in some way attain the God's eye point of view. Let me suggest that we can do the same thing in our understanding of God. That is, it is it our understanding of God which we trust in, or is it God himself? There's a slight difference. They would make an unchanging name, a sure foundation. They would establish themselves and trust in their abilities, what they know. They would hold themselves together. And of course, death is the thing that they're holding themselves, that we're all, in fact, the great uncertainty that we face. And the tower is in some way to secure them in the face of death itself. So to grab for identity and certainty, we can do it, I just think that's the human project. We can do it in nationalism or tribalism. We can in some way even manipulate, imagine we can storm the heavens. We can fabricate meaning through material possessions, through power, position. I think that the drive, the impetus, if we had to name it, is that thing which really is given to us only in the faith that is described in Hebrews. This is the great, I think, scholastic error, fusing Greek and Christian thought. Anselm wanted to put his certainty into God, but he actually said, who is God? Well, God is the greatest thought that I can have. In other words, he shifts the idea from the person of God as we know God in Christ to the person of God as we know him in and through a kind of philosophical certainty. And what happens then is a shift from the historical knowing of Jesus as we have him in the Gospels to a kind of mathematical sort of certainty. It's a kind of escapism, a kind of attempt to escape the change of this world, the bodily or embodied nature of meaning. And of course that's the answer, you know, G. Moore. He held up his hand and he said, well, I can doubt this is my hand. Wittgenstein says, well, you can do that. You can play that game. But understand, it is a game that you're playing simply in and through language, in and through human embodiment, in which you would separate what you know uh, in some way, your mind, you would separate it from the world. And this is just the tendency, I, I would say, in philosophy, and I'm just using philosophy as an example, Descartes or Kant, or just people, would locate meaning in a separate realm, or even in a disembodied ego, in a 
soulish individual in a spirit. Richard Rorty calls it an obsession with this image of something deeply hidden, the attempt to avoid relatedness, to think a single thought, which is not simply a node in a web of other thoughts, but to speak a word which has meaning, even though it has no place in a social practice. By the way, Richard Rorty was an atheist. But what Rorty is seeing there, I think, is the impetus, the philosophical impetus behind the human drive. Maybe another place we can bring it home is Isaiah 28. He's describing then the Jews' attempt to establish their own certainty. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be put to shame. Here's the two choices. You can create, and this is what the Jews are doing, they're creating a religion, a philosophical system in which they imagine that they can defeat death itself. And the messianic picture here is of the one who in fact will defeat death and change. And this is the picture, if you go back to Hebrews, in the rest of that chapter. He's talking about Abraham, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by myself, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And of course, Abraham is in contrast to Babel, that God is going to establish your name. God is going to be your certainty for continued life. He's going to give you a son. This is described both here in Hebrews and in Romans. This is resurrection faith. This is the certainty that we have. It says that Abraham patiently waited and he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. And so in this case, God has sworn. I'm describing a very simple thing here. And that is, I believe that we can put our trust, our certainty, our uh, security in the hands of God. And our tendency is to want to secure ourselves through a variety of means. The writer of Hebrews says, this hope, this faith we have in chapter 6 is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. That is, the veil is that which we cannot see beyond. Second Peter says, We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. We have the word of God given to us in Christ, and that is a certainty that cannot be matched. John 17, 8, For I gave them words, the words you gave me, and they accepted them, 
They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed you sent me. The certainty given to us in Christ is not on the basis of a human word or a human foundation or a human innovation or a human thought. I believe it is only in and through the word given to us in Christ. Do not be deceived, James says, my beloved brother, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no change, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God is unchanging in James' depiction. He is sure. The promise is secured within God himself. And here is where we can have certainty and security. And it's not a disembodied promise. It's realized in the body of Christ. And I mean both things here. The historical Jesus, but the body of Christ by which we're surrounded in the church. The certainty of being joined to the body of Christ is the place in which we find our ultimate security. Paul depicts it as the passage from the body of death. I don't think he just means, oh, our physical body. I think he's describing the passage from one notion of certainty to a very different notion of certainty. That is that there was a time in which we would attempt to secure ourselves and in Paul's depiction in Romans 7, this is death. This is the agonistic struggle. This is the continual failure. Wittgenstein, in describing his journey, you know, he's taking on G. E. Moore's picture. He says, when we first begin to believe anything, what we believe is not a single proposition. It is a whole system of propositions. I believe that's what we come to in Christ. It's not a single proposition, but a new world that opens up to us in which the center of that is an alternative understanding. I, interestingly, I think that's where Wittgenstein himself landed, this alternative worldview in which Christ is the foundation. Paul's picture of baptism is a direct counter to this tendency to set apart the self against the self, the mind against the flesh. Baptism intervenes into this passage beyond the body, the body of death. That there's a joining, and that's his picture in Romans 6. We are joined to the body of Christ. We are baptized into his likeness. That the Christian is united with Christ himself. And the subject of death has shifted to the subject of life in that the subject has been joined to the reality of who God is in the body of Christ. And so baptism, of course, is just a picture of the Christian life. It's a participation in the body of Christ, in the life of Christ that inaugurates an alternative form of life in which death is not the controlling factor. By the Spirit, Paul says, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. Therefore, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
be firmly rooted in him. Here is the language of certainty. Firmly rooted, built up in him, established in your faith, instructed, overflowing with gratitude. I think our Sunday school lesson today, part of faith is this gratitude, recognizing what we've received. Paul in Colossians immediately pits this understanding, this sort of certainty, against the deception of philosophy. Colossians 2, 6-8 See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Why? Because that's where people would imagine certainty is. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Let me shift a little bit and say that there is a certainty to be found in love. It's a very different language. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peace is often limited to the absence of war, but peace in the Bible, I believe, is a depiction of the security, the certainty, living no longer in the struggle to obtain life because we've obtained it. We have it. We can enjoy it. We can be grateful. The peace here that passes all understanding is not dependent upon our ability to conceive of it. The word peacemaker, it appears only in Philippians 4-7. We then become peacemakers ourselves. The conclusion then, the love of God made sure in the body of Christ. This love in the body of Christ is our assurance that we live in. It is our certainty. It's not a principle, it's not a formula, but the certainty of a promise, the certainty of the life of Christ that in fact continues in the body around us. My brother on the right, my sister on the left, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the certainty of things not seen. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to building up the body of Christ to attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge, the sure knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Here is true knowledge. Here is certainty. The agape fellowship. The body of Christ. And so we turn from that certainty in which we will be tossed about like a wave of the sea. You know, this is James' depiction. We are no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves of change, by the waves of time, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. The search for certainty is carried out, I'm afraid, in alienation and separation. The way that modern philosophers talk about it is that we imagine we're in pursuit of presence, as if there is a presence to be given to us in a thought, in a word, and there is only absence. It's actually the pursuit of life. 
in the midst of death. The love of Christ is a sure foundation from which we cannot be separated. Paul says in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is an unbreakable certainty. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.